Ladies and gentlemen, hombres y mujeres, it's now time for the hottest podcast on the market, the primary source for education, motivation, and unification. I'm your host, Joshua Hughes, and this is Empowerment Talks. E-Talks Universe, what's good? We have a stacked show today because we are graced with the presence of a... Professor. A... Are you more than a professor? Remember, this is just us. Just oh, what else do I do? Remember, you, you have like three, four, five different jobs. Right. So I'm, in a, I'm Okay, currently I'm a professor. Of, I teach sociology and mass communication courses at Loyola University in New Orleans. And I am an administrator. I help to run the Center for Teaching and Learning at Tulane University. Casually just does all, does all, all my goodness, just casually does all of these things. Okay, uh, we will be tackling today the subject of overcoming a mental racial caste system. Once again, we will be covering the subject of overcoming a racial, mental racial caste system. Now, this is an open discussion here on Empowerment Talks, and we will be, this topic will be broken down into these three fundamental questions. One, what is a racial caste system? Number two, why do we follow the racial caste system? And three, how do we overcome the racial caste system. Liv, welcome to the show. Thank you. We are here on Empowerment Talks, where our goal is to educate, motivate, and unify our listeners. The eTalk Universe says hello, and they are delighted to hear what you have to say. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? It's it. I can't complain. I'm here. I'm feeling good. You know, uh, the weather outside isn't all that bad. You know, it's November, almost December. I'm a little tired of the Christmas playlist already at work, but. It is what it is. So uh, we're going to start off answering that first question. What is a racial caste system? So historically, a racial caste system, well, caste system has been used primarily for class historically, particularly like the example that comes to mind for most people is the Indian caste system, where the, the status into which one is born is the status to which their children and grandchildren will be born, and that status is immutable, meaning you cannot change your status level. Um, in the U.S., I would say that our de jure system of segregation was a racial caste system. Others have argued that it isn't, but for all intents and purposes, it absolutely was. Right, right. Um, recently, or after segregation ended and formal legal segregation ended, I, th I think you could be argued that we still have a caste system of sorts. Okay. Although, while many people of particular racial and ethnic minority status groups are sedimented in their sort of their racial slash class right, position, right. ultimately, that someone who is in a particular race slash class intersection can move. I think the conflating issue in our country is when we conflate race with class, uh -huh. it becomes really problematic. Really? In contemporary society. Okay. I mean, in a summarized version, I guess 
what that caste system sort of means is that you're a product of your environment. You know, if you're, for example, if you're being born um, underprivileged or if your parents are born into an underprivileged society, uh, according to the social rules, you know, your future will most likely be that. But it is still possible to move up that ladder. Yes. So in the U.S., oh, see, so we're talking about a racial caste system, but it's impossible to talk about that without talking about class. So let's talk about class for a second. Let's do it. In the U.S., the way our class system works is the greatest predictor of a child's class as an adult is their parents' class right. or socioeconomic status, which is a factor, is a combination of several factors such as um, family income, parents' educational level, usually the two factors that are most frequently taken into account, but sometimes sociologists and demographers include other factors like home ownership, et cetera. Okay. So... In the U.S., greatest predictor of any child's future class level is their parents' class. Right. However, in the U.S., we have very high rates of social mobility, meaning a child who is, who is born poor has a chance, and a fairly really? decent chance, of changing classes. All right. This was particularly significant before the 1970s, so like post-World War II and up until the 1970s, okay. you saw lots of class mobility for all racial groups. So like the black middle class really blossomed post-World War II, even though black Americans, and particularly black American World War II veterans, were, for all intents and purposes, shut out of the VA loans and other benefits yeah. that white veterans had to ascend into the middle class. Even though black Americans were shut out from many of those because of racism and, and racist policies, black Americans still ascended into the middle class at, really, at a really high rate. That's a positive message right there. It was wonderful. Since the 1970s, the U.S. overall has had stagnant wages, which means income levels haven't really risen relative to inflation. Okay. And this is a problem that is harming all middle class and definitely lower class Americans. So social mobility is really frequent up until about the 1970s. Okay, 1970s. 1970s, we start to see a slowdown of social mobility. However, the black middle class continues to expand, particularly because of educational opportunities. Okay. So if we think about the first generation of black Americans being admitted to college in large numbers, after desegregation. That wave was sort of like the 1960s into the 70s. Now, their children are going to college, as are more black Americans for the first time. Right. And so we're seeing a larger group of black Americans who have a college degree, which as you and I both know, can make all the difference in the world. It's something like almost a million dollars earnings difference over one's lifetime between a, having a high school degree and a college degree. So the black middle class continues to expand, which is really significant. So social mobility for the black Americans in particular um, is still is, is stagnant, mm -hmm. and yet it is still happening in large numbers. Okay. It's sort of a, uh, a paradox, but one that does exist nonetheless. Well, hey, if it means that we have the opportunity to get ahead, that's a paradox I believe in. Absolutely. So let's move on to that second question. Uh, so why do people believe in a caste system? And I guess to make it a little bit more plain, 
Why in 2017 is that mindset still prevalent? I think the only answer for that is that those who have privilege want to maintain their privilege. Huh. That is not shocking. <laughs> this is not shocking. This is pretty basic. This is pretty basic um, Why we still hold on to this as a nation, I don't know, because it's been harmful to us throughout our history. And the problem is people know it's been harmful. So nobody disputes the harm that was done. Nobody disputes the fact that the past happened and the past has ramifications on the future. But if we don't learn from the past, we're doomed to repeat it. Which so. we do again and again. And even if it's in a more watered down form, it's almost been normalized to the point where, you know, people are growing up with the mindset of this is the way this is supposed to be. Right. And everyone in the system is born into this mindset, right? Exactly. I mean, we all end up, we can all reject the external social forces that exist. They still impact us and they still live within our brains. And so we have to actively reject those social notions, mores and norms that exist out in the world and just say they don't apply to me, which is a challenge. Um, I think our system has maintained itself for so long because the fundamental ideas were so very enduring. I th when I think about slavery, and I think about the white consciousness, the white male consciousness, and the white female consciousness, the work that they had to do to justify that system to the world at large, and then to themselves, surely they knew what they were doing was wrong. So they had to construct a pretty strong narrative right. to help them believe that what they were doing was in fact right. And that narrative, I think, has been so strong that it has endured. Hmm. The other thing that I, this, and this is my, sort of my own personal analysis. Uh-oh, uh here we go. I think that the powerful use, have consistently, up until today, <laughs> and will continue tomorrow, I think that they use race as a wedge. And there are several people that have suggested this. Okay. But the economic elite will use race as a wedge to prevent the lower class and middle class from joining hands together in opposition to them. Really? So why is this endured? I think it's endured because people do not want to give up privilege. The economic elite uses race as a wedge. And I think that's most clearly seen in our most recent presidential election. Like Beautifully a, illustrated, almost actually. Like a, almost like a divide and conquer sort of mentality. Absolutely. Absolutely divide and conquer. And then for those of us who are members of a minority group, and it could be any, it could be racial, it could be gender, any variety of minority groups, I think there is to some degree a, a degree of internalized oppression where we can believe that which is said about our group if we don't actively work to undo it for ourselves and for those around us. Okay. Which is where I think empowerment is, is really critical. Right, right. I mean, that's the purpose and goal of what we're talking about right now. It's one thing to just talk about an issue, but you got to have the solutions on how to be able to overcome that solution and then show other people that there's a life outside of what it is that you're going through. Absolutely. So here's the thing, E-Talk Universe. There comes a time in everyone's life when they want to contribute their own two cents into society by starting their very own business. But the cost and hassle of creating a website can be unbearable. Not anymore. 
Landing Line is the hottest website builder on the market, not because they give you complex templates you don't need, but because they put the power of website building in your own hands, page by page. All they ask is that you add what you need as you need it. And as a gift to the consumer, Landing Line is absolutely, and I mean absolutely free. So be sure after the podcast to check Landing Line out and fulfill a lifelong personal dream. That's LandingLine.com. Once again, that is LandingLine.com. All right, Liv, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Wonderful conversation we're having right now. And the, the goal of this conversation is to reach a conclusion about topic three, which is what can we do to overcome this mental racial caste system. I think in our society, the system in which we live is so burdensome and ever-present that it may be difficult to even recognize its existence. Um, And so talking about issues, and not just talking about issues, but talking about them in a way that contextualizes them in a broader sense. So I have personal issues, but my personal issues are not just my own. My, ha- my issues, the issues, things that I experience happen on a wide scale, starting to question why do these things happen and how do they happen? So I think oftentimes once we take our personal issues and move outside of ourselves and look at, I guess, a bigger picture mm-hmm. and connect with others, that's where we have the opportunity to see that the system that exists does for a reason. And I think it helps us to become more empowered to change that system, especially when we join hands with others. I feel as though this is a, this is a very flushed out process of how those that with addictions tend to relieve themselves from said addictions. First, you said you have to acknowledge that there is a problem. And that, that takes, that takes, you have to cut down your pride and admit that there's something wrong with the way that we're thinking, not just as us individuals, but as us as a collective unit. We need to figure out what it is that we're dealing with. But then we have to take those steps after we've identified an issue and go about solving the issue. So my question to you, Liv, is what do we do when we have, for example, film producers that, um, supersize the issue or, or try to make a profit out of those tensions. Uh, for one for one example, I think of um, movies that educated those like Roots back in, I believe it was the 70s, where they brought the realism of that situation. And of course, you get a backlash from those that didn't agree with the movie. And you have those that were for it that were like, this is the real thing. How do we handle that dynamic? I think we handle it by fostering it. Yeah, it, there was there was a clash and there was controversy, but that's a good thing, right? I have repeatedly said, people can believe whatever they want to believe, and I support that. And I want people to believe their views with great earnest, but I want them to know why they believe it, and I want them to consciously choose to believe what they believe. Right. Okay. I want you to do research. I want you to know about all sides and then choose what you want to believe and then support it actively. Um, I think having controversies is really important because that's where those uncomfortable, challenging and really critical conversations come up. If we don't have con- if we don't have these challenging, controversial conversations, then we're all just sort of going along blindly. And I don't think that's 
purposeful either. In this in this room, in this narrative that we're speaking to each other, it's easy for a small group of people to be like-minded. But we're dealing with a society where this thing has been ingrained for the past couple hundred years. How do we wring the ears of those that profit off of the dysfunction? We continue to do what we have been doing recently through social media. I think we've seen some really significant social movements come out of social media. And while some have had greater impact than others, they have all spurred a conversation about critical issues that are impacting our communities. And for a start, that that's essential. If we don't even talk about the issues that exist, they're certainly never going to get resolved. But following those conversations, I think this is now um, the rut that maybe the Black Lives Matter movement is stuck in is they've spurred lots of conversation and protest, but now what? Now I think we have to move as a community towards voting, voting with our dollars, voting with our election ballot um, to really make a significant change. So we have to now become more involved in the processes that have historically worked to harm us. Well, in the process of getting that fundamental piece started, where once again, you, you put out a wonderful point about how Black Lives Matter, they were very very good at displaying who they are and what they believe in. But when it came to what goes on after the initial uh, shooting or the initial, you know, uh, displeasure in the society, there's this blank rut where if nothing interesting is going on, if there isn't a catastrophe to jump on, you have to make your own material. So how do you convince a community that with some may be content being placed at a lower demographic, being placed disadvantage because unfortunately that's a realistic thing how do you convince them that there is life beyond their circumstances and take that leap of faith and decide to do something about the dysfunction rather than finding comfort in it yeah you have to keep continual outreach and encouragement and support and i think unfortunately while i would like to see change come much more quickly when I was young, it was much more idealistic, and I thought change would come more quickly. Mm. It hasn't. I don't, I'm a little uh, cynical. I don't know if it will. Okay. But I do know that having an impact on one, and if each of us is charged with making an impact on one person's life, right. that will bring significant change. It may take time, but it's, tremendous to the one life that we impact exactly. and the trick to that is is you don't know who that one person is so you have to spread your work wide and far that's the best part and historically it's been proven that it can work we've had the civil rights movement where we went from second-class citizens to being placed by law on par so we can reach the very top of the ladder it's just we need to figure out how to use that ideolo ideology and put it in a today manner and be able to use, once again, social media uh, to be able to go and gather groups together, not just in protest, but to also show that they're unified in their dollars. They're willing to invest in themselves. We always hear support black businesses, support a black cause. This is to make us equal. This is for us to get the advantage that most of us will probably not see. To finally have a black president, that has been that is something that was never thought of. But if it can happen, what does that say about the positions that are under the presidency? 
If we can get all the way to the top of the ladder, we can also go all the way around. Absolutely. So Liv, I believe that we have hit every last circle of the issue. And well, to make it plain, now that's what I'm talking about. Taking an issue, breaking it down to its fundamental core. I'd like to take a quick second to thank the members of the eTalk universe, as well as first-time listeners for tuning into this discussion. Now, Liv, how can we contact you if we have any more questions or we would love to have you back on the show and probably have another one of these great discussions? Well, um, my email is at Loyola University of New Orleans, lknewman at loino.edu. I teach here pretty much every semester, including the summer term, so take one of my classes. Um, we, have a, we have a lot of fun, as much fun as you can have discussing really weighty and difficult issues, but we do... Do it well, as well as we can. Um, so take one of my classes, send me an email. I'd love to get together and talk about these issues some more. Wonderful. And if you like the topic, uh, the conversation doesn't have to stop here. Uh, if you want to contribute and throw your two cents into the eTalk conversation, you can join eTalks at eTalks.org. That is eTalks.org and be a part of the eTalk universe. Be sure to like, share and subscribe this podcast on iTunes and be sure to spread the word that change is indeed possible if we unite, work together and come as one whole package. And while you're on the eTalks website, you can check out the weekly e-blog where the conversation and the recommended guests of the week will continue and move forward as we reach the very next episode. In conclusion, my name is Joshua Hughes. And I'm Dr. Liv Newman. And this was Empowerment Talks. This is the primary source for education, motivation, and unification. Remember, progress starts with you. Peace. Peace.